Welcome to The Teaching Curve, a podcast exploring the pedagogy of global politics and international relations produced under the auspices of the Innovative Pedagogy Initiative of the International Studies Association and made available through the ISA Professional Resource Center. I'm Jamie Free, Associate Provost and Professor of Global Politics at Bridgewater College. Each episode of The Teaching Curve is a conversation with a thoughtful and engaged teacher of global politics. The goal is to celebrate and inspire pedagogical creativity by taking a pause from what are, almost by default these days, hectic lives to think deeply about the role each of us plays in building and rebuilding the identities that define us as professionals. Without a periodic poke to draw our attention to these contextual issues, it is all too easy to skate by year after year relying on pat answers and established patterns of social power to tell us who we are and what we should be doing as teachers. Today's conversation is with Dr. Naeem Inatula, professor of politics at Ithaca College in New York in the United States. Naeem has invested the time to think through some of these foundational issues and to reimagine his classroom environments in ways that might make learning more likely. He has laid out what amounts to a challenge for all instructors of global politics in a 2022 book from Roman and Littlefield, Pedagogy as Encounter, Beyond the Teaching Imperative. Our conversation is an introduction to that challenge, exploring the value of the concept of teaching as a definition of the relationships that we have with our students. Our often unquestioned assumptions about students that determine so much about how we frame what we and they are up to and whether teaching global politics or any field of study can ultimately change the world and why we should devote ourselves to the project even if the answer is no. Naeem Anathula, thank you very much for being here. Uh, it's a great honor to have you on here. Thank you for the invitation, Jamie, and likewise, it's an honor for me. It's always a good conversation with you. Let's begin with a little bit about your context and where you're teaching so everybody can kind of frame that. And the way I like to do that is to have people explain a little bit about the students that are at your institution. Yeah, I'm at uh, Ithaca College and have been since 1996. Before that, I was at Syracuse for eight years. And before that, I was at Colorado for two years. So big schools. And then Ithaca College is a smaller school. It's not a liberal arts college per se. It's got some strange uh, comprehensive something, something. Yep. It's about five or 6,000 students, depends on the year. And we basically do only undergraduate students. And the undergraduates that come here are um, fun to work with because I like to, I like to say that they, you can distract them into learning something. So I like my students here a lot. They're, they're easy to hang out with. Uh you've spent a lot of time thinking about how best to reach them and how to build environments in which they're more, most likely to learn things. Some of that's come out in this book, which is just this year, um, summarizing a lot of thoughts. I know you and I've had conversations and I've read a lot of stuff about how you think about it and pulling this all together into one uh, treatise, um, I think helps a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? It it's emerged almost out of that article that I wrote in your book, yeah, mm. where I have a footnote that says, you know, I have, I've, um, this is a short version, a much longer version would take a book about 45,000 words. And then this is that book. Mm -hmm. And I had a sabbatical some years back and all I had was a list of anecdotes that I wanted to tell. And then about one month before getting back to classes, I sat down and started writing 
And uh, it just flowed out of me. It, the first draft the would, only took three weeks. So the stories were there. I'd been thinking about them for a long time. And uh, I kind of let the writing do its work. And so it was a lot of fun. It was about eight to 10 hours a day for three weeks. And my wife was quite amazed that I could put out a draft that quickly. I think the rest of us are too. That's wonderful. Well, it's only happened twice in my life, uh, once on a paper and once in this particular book. So, you know, I think the the trick is to get yourself saturated. And when you're nice and saturated, then you can just, it just comes out of you. So when I first started doing this and this list has evolved, but I have a list of questions that I have that I think, okay, well, if let, these are things that I would want to ask, but there's one question on the list that was inspired by you and your approach to teaching and uh, that I've never asked to anybody else. There's uh, all these questions. So here's the question. What does it mean to teach? Yeah, boy, that, you know, mm, Jamie, mm, that's a really difficult question given the situation I'm in with this book because uh, my polemical claim is that teaching is not really possible, yeah? Mm -hmm. So uh, if if I stick with that premise, then teaching is an is an is a is a hopeless act of, I mean you know it's a desperate act to try and get somebody to do something that you want them to do. So it's not that different different from other acts of power. So I I think teaching is that's on the one hand. I mean that's how I see it. But on the other hand, we all you know sit or stand in the, or walk around in the classroom. And what we think we're doing in there, I know we call it teaching, but part of the project of this book is to, is to look at that action where we, the professor's in the room with a bunch of students and to really ask ourselves, well, what's actually going on there? We call it teaching, but mm -hmm. what's actually going on in there, right? So I, I've, I've, I've tried to think about this in terms of uh, music. Yeah, You go to a concert and you know there is musical... Eh, information coming at you but that's not a concert you know that there's energy exchanges going on but that's not a concert something else is actually happening between the musicians the music and the audience something is happening in that concert so i think the classroom is a similar setting we call it teaching just like we call a concert a concert but we don't actually pay attention to what is happening hmm. in that in that context in those moments and so in some ways, now having presented the book a few times, the question that's really emerged in my head is, um, what what's happening there? And and the the problem with us as professors, I think almost all of us as professors, is that we take that drama for granted and don't ask ourselves, all right. So how to, now switch metaphors again, from music to drama. If it's a musical event, if it's a dramatic event. If it's a teaching event, what's actually happening in the classroom? And if, and if we started to pay attention to that with the kind of finesse and energy and devotion that we do to our research, wow, I think things would change rather dramatically. You know, the reason this book emerged is because I realized that most of my teaching was failed teaching. And, uh, you know, this is like 34th or 35th year of my teaching. And basically the thing I try to teach is global inequality. You know, what is the nature of global inequality? Mm -hmm. And it's only been in the last few years that a few of my students here have taken me up on that. But prior to that, and no matter what institution I was in, uh, even though I, as I say in the book, I 
you know, I got decent evaluations. I got good evaluations. And yet I was totally convinced that I was not able to have them learn anything about what I was teaching. So once I realized that what I was teaching was not what they were there for, not what they were learning, then I began to think, okay, why is why am I failing all the time? Why am I failing to get these points across all the time? And yet they seem to be enjoying the experience. Mm-hmm. So that it's that conundrum that really got me going on. All right, let me try and figure out what exactly is going on in this space. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, the the book argues you've got some insights now into how we can create environments in which we get the answers that you were looking for, even from the very beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the the way it worked out was that that, that I had. I mean, I considered that course in a way a failure. It was my first failure because I, I had no idea at that point that mm. that what well, it wasn't about my yellow notepads and my my hours and hours spent on getting the lectures right. And, you know, it it was none of that. Something else was going on in that space. And so Mm. that started the process over the decades of of trying to figure out, all right, what exactly is happening in this space? And how do I get it? How do I think about this space, the, the relationship between the topography of the classroom, my presence in it, my students' presence in it, the text, the, the syllabus, all of that? How do I think of that now as something that I can potentially design, redesign? And so I started redesigning those that, that space in all the different ways that I mentioned, including the geometry of the classroom, mm-hmm. and kept thinking, no, I'm not getting there. I'm not getting there. I'm not. Ten years later, I'm thinking to myself, this is, you know, yeah, evaluations, yes, good, but this is not happening. This, you know, I'm, and finally giving up on the idea. Okay, I know that what I want to happen in this classroom is not happening. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to try and figure out what it is that the space is good for. Is mm. it good for anything? And if it's good for something, how do I adapt my geometry, the style, the presence, the assumptions, so that something can come out of this space, even though it's not about teaching and not necessarily even about learning, something else is happening in that room. Mm-hmm. How can it's like it's like you know to go back to the concert metaphor just for a second you know you can design a really good sonic space that 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 not only lets the music be heard very clearly but where everybody gets to see each other's faces and sees each other enjoying the music mm-hmm. and that there's a rapport between the audience and the musicians so that the energy flows very freely all right so how do you design a concert space and a concert event that allows that kind of kind of intimacy and also intensity. And so this is the kind of question I started to pose for myself. What, what can I do? One, now that I've given up on the process of teaching, what is left in here for me to still do? Mm-hmm. And of course, there's the other members of that interaction where you're trying to get that to happen. How do you in a how do you help the students find in a really in a metacognitive way? How do you help them find where how they can get the most out of that experience? <laughs> yeah, that's still the, you know, 36 years later, that's still the question. Uh, yeah, well, I'll give you a really simple answer. I mean, it's you know, it takes a year, it takes practice to put this into effect, but but I'll give you a simple answer just to just to give you a simple answer. 
uh, I walk in with two assumptions in my relationship with the student. One is, um, I don't know if these assumptions are true, okay? But they're good working assumptions, all right? So one is the student has a project. They don't know, they may not know they have mm -hmm. a project, but mm -hmm. they have a project. And the student's real desire is the unfolding of that project almost to infinity. Like the, we might call it an intrinsic curiosity. All right, so assumption number one, each one of my students has a unique individual project which can unfold infinitely. Yeah, hmm. that, That's one assumption, very generous assumption. <laughs> Fair enough. Second assumption that every student will find a way to block that project, right? So it's not necessarily just that it's an it's a it's a macro sociological block, although it might be. Many of them don't make it to school. They're under financial difficulties. They're not eating enough. They're partying, whatever. But I'm going to waive all that because the real block is internal. Yeah. So the the second assumption is that they block their own curiosity. Right. So on the one, the first assumption, infinite curiosity that each unique infinite curiosity of each individual student. Second assumption, they find not one, not two, many ways to block their own mm -hmm. curiosity, all right? So that creates the essential tension for me in the classroom. When I walk into a classroom now, I don't have those notes. I'm thinking, okay, these two assumptions about every individual in the room are probably gonna be true. Let me find out what the curiosity is about and what the blocks are. Mm -hmm. yeah? And so then, then my job becomes really simple in the classroom is, well, it's simple. Not, it's not that simple, but the idea is simple. How do I get the student to see these two things? Mm -hmm. First, I got to find out what they are. Mm -hmm. So project number one, get to know the student well enough to be able to see these two things, the individual project and the blocking. And then second, how do I present the potential insight that I have about their block, how they block their own curiosity to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now it can't be a one-way thing. I can't think to myself, oh, I know this person because right. that's just back to teaching in the form of psychotherapy. But so the idea is to how to engage them in a conversation so that they can respond to my hypotheses about why they what they're how they how they're blocking their own curiosity and why they need to block their own curiosity and if this, these, these are the methods. So if I engage them in a long-term conversation, whether it's text, uh, whether it's conversation in classrooms, whether it's in office hours, whether it's over three or four different courses, if I can engage them in this long-term conversation, then the project becomes my suggestion to them at some point. Look, here are the, here are the ways that I think that's key. It may not be true. Here are the ways in which I think you're blocking your own curiosity. What do you think of what I just said? So this becomes the project. So, really far away from bundles and bundles of notes and lectures. For sure. I mean, that's a, but it's a, it's an empathetic investment in the relationship and the interactions with yeah. you with another individual. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a bunch of individuals yeah. in the class, right? Yeah. 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 And, and that's, I think, one of the things that uh, for those people who love teaching, I think that's an articulation of what they love. About. Now, there's some people who love being found to be wise, right? They get to stand up and sure. they get to reflect in the sense that they get to have that power of the knowledge being spread. And that. Sure, but I sure. think that 
the people who genuinely say, what I love about teaching is the students, that's getting at what they mean, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that's, uh, yeah, I couldn't have put it better. <laughs> so part of what, what would be, so if the student doesn't know what's happening in the classroom and the professor is unable to articulate it, then probably what's going on, if, if, if my book has got anything to say about these things, is the encounter is enriching somehow. Mm-hmm. The encounter is enriching somehow for both parties. So now, if that uh, assumption is true, then the question becomes, all right, what makes enriching encounters? What makes encounters that are enriching? How does that happen? Yep, exactly. And, and in some ways, what you're also hoping is that the students uncover that project in a way that they own it more than they have in the past perhaps yeah absolutely absolutely that's also you know we should teach teach together and see how this works for the two of us Uh, i i try to tell them at the end of every course a little bit about the experience that they've had and um one of the the one of the things i say to them the very last thing i say to them before we part company is i say you experience what it means to be part of a learning community you've experienced what it means to enter or create a learning community. And now you know how to do it, which makes me obsolete in your life. Yeah. Now that you know how to be in a learning community, now you know how to enter one and how to create one. You can do this. You can do Mm. this on your own. If I can do it, anybody can. Mm. So yeah, yeah, that, that is a really important part for me is to get them to think, okay, this is a replicable experience and i have some knowledge already about how to do it because i've just experienced this for the last 15 weeks and uh well i have a a hypothesis that Uh, actually that the uh that the the subject matter of global politics is actually a very good medium for getting at this kind of self-realization and the embracing of the project, uh, that there's pieces of it that may be different from how people encounter other subject matters, other disciplines at the university, at the college. No, I think that's, yeah, I I, I want to endorse that hypothesis, Jamie. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Because our field is also about encounters, yeah, just at a different scale. Exactly. I mean, that's why I'm, why I found worth and value in this career is because I'm hoping that what we can get is students to embrace that idea of encounters with difference and making those more productive and more um, fun. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fun and intense. And I'm going to I'm going to guess here at at a fundamental difference between your approach in my approach. I mean, you know, we've had many conversations. So, uh, and this is just one of my wild guesses, right? So I, I think it is, there is no hope for our discipline in, in making a positive contribution to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, not just international relations, but any discipline, anthropology, political science, uh, economics, there's no hope for that. Because I'm, I'm, my one of my premises is, is, is the academy is 
structurally designed to be an apologist for empire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, you know, as individuals, we might like to think that we're making a difference and perhaps we are making the difference in, a, in the case of one or two people that we've had encounters with, mm -hmm. but on the whole, that still leaves the, the, the rest of the, the, you know, a, a good a professor here or there is not going to make a difference to the way that the academy is structured. So, mm -hmm. so I've given up on the idea that that uh, we can do any that we're heroes, that mm -hmm. we are we are going to make a positive contribution. No, basically our our field explains and apologizes for empire. And and not just the field, right? But the idea of how education is framed. Yeah. The academy, yeah. The, the academy, academy, right. And not just, I mean, K through 12 also. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, it's true. It's, uh, I, I think that there's ways in which the environments, the classroom environments and the, the course systems that you're implementing give people at least a chance to question that, right? And to say, uh, this education that I've gotten to this point seems directed in this way. And, you know, if I'm just, if I'm just interested in getting the grades, right, I've bought into that system and following what they asked me to do. And this is a different kind of project for the yeah. class. Yeah. 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 Um, on, on the one hand, uh, the project that I think I'm engaged in is much more modest, but also more selfish. Uh, in essence, the encounter, I mean, the question I, you, might, you might ask or that I might ask is, all right, suppose you're right. All that happens is really about encountering the classroom with the students. What's in it for the professor in that? Yeah. And the answer is, um, well, I've given up on trying to do good. I've given up on, on all that. I mean, given up on teaching and learning. So what is it? What is it? What? Well, it's a window. The student, the stu student is a micro instantiation of macro structures in the world. And mm -hmm. if, you, if you can get them to trust you and share their story with you, they let you see through their world what the world that they occupy looks like. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so, so if 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 on the one hand I give up on everything else, then I'm still holding on to this particular idea that it's worth getting these encounters with students are worth it because they help us to create an accurate picture of the world, you know, a better picture of the world. Yeah. What that picture, you know, what that knowledge amounts to, I don't know. But what, mm -hmm. what I feel confident in saying is that over the last 30 years, getting to know these students' lives, I could never, never have imagined what how fragile and how rich simultaneously fragile and how rich their lives are you know mm. if you're standing in a stage that's three feet high and the students are below you and you're lecturing you're never going to learn the delicacy of life that your students experience so that's what's that's still what's in it for me is that they they there's a there's a richness there that they bring with them in enough thank you very much for being part of this it is a pleasure always to talk to you about teaching um even if i always i feel the same way about talking to you about any just about anything jamie well that's great and uh hopefully we'll get the chance to do that in montreal going to montreal, montreal inshallah <laughs> indeed indeed 
Okay, great. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I know that this is going to be very thought provoking for everybody in the audience. And that's a, a gift. Thank you. My pleasure. To participate in more conversations about these issues, I hope you'll join us for ISA's Innovative Pedagogy Conference to be held Tuesday, March 14, 2023, the day before the main conference begins in Montreal. You can find out about the list of workshops and register for the conference on ISA's website. The Teaching Curve podcast is made available in the ISA Professional Resources Center under the auspices of the Innovative Pedagogy Initiative. You can send feedback or suggestions for future interviews to teachingcurve at isonet.org. And you should follow us on Twitter at Teaching Curve. Thank you for joining us again on The Teaching Curve. And remember, learn something every time you teach.